Today's sermon text is Romans 5th chapter 17th verse and Hebrews 4th chapter 15 and 16. Romans 5 and 17 says, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is God's word. Thanks, Andrea. Um, let us pray. Dad, I just want to say that I, I'm grateful to be here with my brothers and sisters and to um, just talk about reality from your perspective, um, truth. And I ask that you will incline our hearts to yourself, satisfy us with nothing less than you this morning. And as we um, do this discourse on grace, that you would take us into new, new vistas of it. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so before we start this morning, I have a couple of random thoughts uh, that I would like to just say. Uh, first, I wanted to um, really thank um, Chris Bennett publicly uh, for bringing Porterbrook theological training to Renewal Church. Uh, many churches in the city outsource their theological training to seminaries or to other institutions. And I think that it's beautiful now that the local church is now performing its own theological training in-house instead of outsourced. Um, that may not be a big deal to many of you, but it's huge in the church world, huge. Um, it's very rare, very rare. Um, so, so thank you um, for your investment in, in all of us here. Um, secondly, we give, we've given out many books on, well, not many, maybe a hundred, <laughs> on the um, No Place Left saga. Um, how many of you have read that? A couple of you have read the No Place Left saga? Okay. Um, there are people within this city and in this room who are doing that. And so if that book really stirred your heart, there's an opportunity to flesh it out. So if you want, you can email me, ron at renewalmemphis.com, and we can get you connected with some people. Um, another thought here is I've just been meditating on just life and the person, that, the person that I am becoming and the person that I will be in the future, and same for you. And I just want to put this thought out there. Um, what will your life be like in 300 years from now? What will your life be like 300? What will you be doing 300 years from now? You're going to outlive your body. You're going to outlive it. What will you be doing 300 years from now? Um, Revelation 22, verse 5. 
speaks about the new city to come, the new age. And it says, there will be no more night there. There will not need, they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light. And here's the emphasis. And they will reign forever and ever. There's responsibility and dominion in the age to come. What will you be doing 300 years from now? All right, so today um, we're talking about transforming grace, one of our values. We're in a series called This Is Us. And what I have today to give you is what the Lord has been speaking to me about for, for a while. And these, this is many of the conversations that I've had with my wife. And I just want to communicate that to you today. And so this would be more topical um, in conversation this morning. So before we begin, um, there was a, a little girl in um, an ethics class. And she was asked the question, what is a lie? What is a lie? And she, she said, a lie is an abomination to God and a very present help in trouble. The thing about transforming grace is that it brings us to a place where we don't have to lie. It brings us to a place where we don't have to lie. Grace gives us a greater option. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you would know the truth. When you hear truth, think reality. That's what the word actually means. And then you would know the truth. You would know reality, and that reality would set you free, parenthesis, from slavery to sin. You would know reality. You would know truth. And that truth, that reality, will set you free from slavery to having to lie. By grace... Your life is a garden where you collaborate with God in cultivating love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and control over self, the fruit of the spirit. By grace, your life is a garden where you collaborate with God in cultivating these attributes, these facets of new life. Love seeks the greatest good for another. Love does not have to lie. But you will. I will. That's why today's talk is on transforming grace. All right. So I have two points today. I would have three, but that's a big plane to land at this time. Um, But if you want the notes, you can email me and I can send it to you. So the first point is transforming grace in salvation. Transforming grace in salvation. And my second point um, is transforming grace 
invocation, which is your job, what you do for a living, um, uh, and in the mundane things of life. Transforming grace and salvation, transforming grace and vocation and the mundane things of life. Um, my last point would have been transforming grace in character, which is very important. So as we begin, transforming grace and salvation, just want to present the good news. Um, God loved us, and he loves us. And God came into the world as the person Jesus, who is called Christ. And Jesus lived the life that we could not live, a humanly perfect and supernatural life. Uh, he did it in honor of his God, his Father. And he showed us how to live in the Father's kingdom. He showed us the availability of God was open to all who would receive him. And today I want to, I want to talk slow and I want to be methodical today because I want you to hear everything that I'm saying. So Jesus, he showed us the availability of God was open to all who would receive him. Jesus, through his death, he removed sin. Sin is the obstruction of friendship with God. Jesus removed sin. He removed the obstruction of friendship with God. Sin is what obstructs wholeness in humanity. Externally, in creation, internally, within our souls. Sin obstructs wholeness. And Jesus died that wholeness could be inserted into the life of all who would receive him. And so he removed sin out of the way, brought man back in relationship with God, thereby incorporating friendship. He did it by allowing himself to die on the behalf of those whom he loved. On the third day after his, um, after dying, on the third day, he rose again to new life. Flesh and bone, pulsing with immortality, to never die again. There is mystery to the world in which we live. This happened in real time. And during a period of 40 days after his resurrection, he was seen by over 500 people. And after leaving the scene, he sent his spirit the helper, to accompany those who would be his witnesses. He promised to come back for us and one day to set the world right. He forgave us. He forgives us. Never will he let us go. And he granted us his access to the Father. His very own access to the Father he has granted to us. This is transforming grace, unfathomable and unearned. The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. That's Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. And when the text says, um, grace teaches us, I'm reading from the NIV, to say no to ungodliness. In the ESV, it says, grace trains us. Um, the original word means to discipline. It means to instruct by training. How often have you considered grace to be a trainer? The loving activity of God in your life, grace. It trains us. He trains us. So Jesus came to give us life, right? He came to give us abundant life. Abundant life. Um, but this life is not just to be anticipated for the future. It is a life to be experienced in the present. It's a, a now life. When you think of eternal life, think of eternal living. It's life that begins now. It's a quality of life that starts when you embrace Jesus as, as your king. Your king. And it's a life that continues forever. Eternal life, eternal living by the complements of the grace of God is an interactive relationship of divine initiative and human response. Grace by complements of the grace of God, eternal living by complements of the grace of God is Divine initiative and human response. It's God acting with us and us acting with him. God living and acting with us and us living and acting with God. That's what it means to know something in scripture. Jesus says that eternal life is to know him, the one true God. To know him and to know the one true God, John 17, 3. That's what eternal life is. And that word know means to interact with something on the basis of experience. It is to gain understanding because of firsthand encounters. So eternal life, eternal living is us having a relationship, friendship with God, God acting with us, living with us, us acting and living with God. Eternal life is what you have. It's the quality of life that God is. It's your friendship with him. So because of this grace, he has justified you as though you've already stood in the courts of heaven and received your verdict. Because of this grace. Indeed, Jesus says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. John 5, 24. It's like I'm looking here, I'm standing here and I'm looking out among my brothers and sisters. And it's like I see Enoch and Elijah again. People who have crossed over from this world into the, the world to come. Jesus says that you right now have passed from death 
into life. That's why Paul says, I died and my life was hidden with Christ in God. This is grace. So you've already stood in the courts of heaven from Jesus' perspective and received your verdict. You've crossed over from death into life. So now in this stage of history, we embark with him in an opportunity of a lifetime. Being his trainees. Being disciples of Jesus. Like there is no, there is nothing greater that you could ever do in life than to become an apprentice of Christ. Nothing. This is an opportunity of a lifetime. And this is what we receive by grace. And now, as his students, his apprentices, we are living with him in the kingdom of heaven. We are living the eternal life right now with him. Transformed by grace and thereby empowered by him to do all that he commanded. This is cool. This is this is real. This is real life. This is real life. And you know, it's not easy being a student. It's not easy being an apprentice. You know, you ever trained alongside someone to learn how to do what they're doing? You screw up, and because they've been doing it a long time, they look at you like you should have to get get it get it like this. And it doesn't work like that, does it? It takes time. So don't be down on yourself because you're failing. Keep going. And if you keep going, you could potentially become an expert. Like with everything else in life. We're with him in the kingdom of heaven. He's with us. We're learning by him, learning from him to be his his students, his apprentices, because he wants to exercise his personality in and through yours. Transforming grace. So, moving forward, that was grace and salvation. This is grace in vocation. Now, point two, grace in vocation. And, parentheses, the mundane things of life. Like this, this is gonna be really good, guys. This is gonna be really good, cause it's really good to me, you know. And um, what I'm presenting to you now is lessons that I've learned from the Spirit of God, and so I just wanna, I just wanna give you a peek into what's happening with me, all right? And I know it's gonna bless you because it's, it's what God wants. Yeah, God wants you to see all of your life as engulfed in his presence. All of it. No exception, no exemptions, no exclusions. Um, So grace is unmerited favor. But contrary to popular belief, grace is not always associated with sin and guilt. Grace is unmerited favor, 
But contrary to popular belief, grace is not always associated with guilt and sin. Sometimes grace is associated with accomplishments. Still unmerited. I know for some of you, that concept, you've never entertained that concept. And so I just want to give you a second just to feel that. Sometimes grace is associated with accomplishments. And we'll keep moving and let you see that in the scriptures. Still unmerited. Is a merited favor necessary in our lives for sin? If you're right, you can't be wrong, right? (laughs) Is it or isn't it? Right, it is. It really is. Uh, I, I remember when I was still trying to work through these ideas, I was having a discussion with Ray. Remember that, Ray? Where you were helping, helping you move, and you and I were talking about grace and vocation and skill and stuff. Yeah. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but we most certainly need grace. We need, we need the unmerited favor of God active in our lives because of sin. And so, do we need grace for acquiring and developing skill? Yes. I dare not say otherwise. Yes. Um, What does 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 teach us about grace? It reads, My grace is sufficient for you, God the Lord, speaking to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. When you hear the word power, hear ability, inherent ability. My ability completes its goal in weaknesses, in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly, Paul says, about my weaknesses, so that Christ's ability, his power, may rest on me. Question, what did we learn about grace in this passage? Okay, grace is sufficient. What else? All right, so here we go. So grace is sufficient and grace is power. Not pity. Grace is sufficient and grace is power, not pity. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect. It's complete. It reaches its goal. It fulfills the purpose for which it's active in weakness. Grace is power. Grace is sufficient. Paul says in, in another um, scripture, I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. I didn't write the, uh, the reference here. But it says... By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect, not in vain. No, Paul says, I worked harder than them all, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. 
So grace is sufficient, grace is power, and grace works with us. Grace is a co-laborer. It's actor. He says, I worked harder than them all. Like I was working my socks off. But it was not me. It was the grace of God with me. So was it you or was it not you? The answer is yes. (laughs) Grace labors with us. It works with us. Um, So moving forward. As maturing disciples, living under the good rule of God, you can count on the power of God flowing from and to your life. You can count on it. That's what it means to live in the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. It's like you can count on it. You anticipate it. You look forward. Living under the good rule of God, you can count on the power of God flowing from into your life. Just as the power of God was with Christ to accomplish the purposes for which he was sent into the world, even so, the power of God is with you to accomplish the purposes for which you were sent into the world. Grace, the present and loving activity of God in your life is not confined to religious things. Grace, and I define it as the loving activity of God in your life. It is not confined to religious things. Grace is for life. It is for singleness. It is for marriage. It is for dying. It is for grief. It is for project management. It is for working on the assembly line. It is for homemaking. It is for writing research papers. Grace is for learning how to be an adolescent. Grace transforms how we do the things mentioned. And it transforms the awareness of the presence we anticipate being with us in all of those situations. Grace is for life. It is the present and loving activity of God with you wherever you are and and in whatever you're doing. Grace. It's for life, all of life. The sufficient power of God, ability of God with you at International Paper, at FedEx, at the U of M, taking care of the kids at home, Trading stock. Grace is for life. It transforms how we do all those things and it transforms the awareness of the presence we anticipate being with us. With us. In those situations. 
we have, we, we have to, we have to renew our minds. You know, we have to adjust the way we're thinking so that we can perceive God in the world. We need to be able to perceive him. Unfortunately, we've been conditioned to believe that Jesus is not intelligent enough to assist us in the matters of real life. We have been conditioned to believe that Jesus is not intelligent enough to instruct and assist us in the matters of real life. We limit the availability of the kingdom of God to quiet times, to prayer meetings, to worship services, to evangelism, to spiritual blogs, church attendance. God's heart is that all of life will be engulfed in his kingdom. All of it. And we would demonstrate this reality by our dependence on him in everything. God's heart is that all of life will be engulfed in his kingdom. And we demonstrate that we truly believe that when we depend on him in everything that we do. That's why the song, um, Proverbs tells us, you know, depend on God, trust in God, have confidence in God, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways, in everything that you do, acknowledge him. Imagine me walking in the house after leaving the training, walking into the house, and my wife is sitting on the couch, and I just, that's my wife right here, just, like, you don't see me? (laughs) Acknowledge him in all your ways. He's there, but we must invoke his presence. We must We must attend to him. Do you like to show your face where you're not wanted? When the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God, it means to seek God. The word seek It means to desire, to investigate, to get down to the bottom of. That's how we get to experience him. And so Jesus is intelligent enough to instruct us and assist us in matters of real life. Real life. Um, So today I want us to trust God for transforming grace in our vocations and the mundane things of life. Jeremiah 17, 5, it is written, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength 
whose heart turns away from the Lord. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes human beings his dependents. Flesh is what you can do without God. Whose heart turns away from the Lord. Brothers, sisters, when we trust in our skills and possessions and talents, we are living according to dependence on human ability, otherwise known as the flesh. You never want to be so good at your job or so comfortable in the routine of work that your father, the one in the heavens, becomes obsolete. You never want to be so comfortable in the routine of life or so good at your job that you don't need God. I'm training multiple people a week, groups, churches, and I have to remind myself because I've done this a thousand times. I still need them. I still need to involve him in this. I need your help, guys. Show up tonight. You need him for that research paper. You need him for that for that PowerPoint presentation. You never want to be so good at your job or so comfortable in the routine of work that your father, the one in the heavens, he's here. The one in the heavens becomes obsolete. And I consider the heavens as a space around us, the space above us where the birds fly, the space beyond us, the space invisible to us. That's the heavens. He's here. So Dallas Willett writes, And I'm going to try to say this more than once. He says, our commitment to Jesus can stand on no other foundation than a recognition that he is the one who knows the truth about our lives and our universe. It is not possible to trust Jesus in matters where we do not believe him to be competent. We cannot pray for his help. And rely on his collaboration in dealing with real life matters we suspect might defeat his knowledge or abilities. And can we seriously seriously imagine that Jesus could be Lord if he were not smart? If he were divine, would he be dumb or uninformed? Once you stop to think about it, how could he be? what we take him to be in all other respects and not be the best informed and most intelligent person of all, the smartest person who ever lived. I'm going to read that one more time. He says, our commitment to Jesus can stand on no other foundation than a recognition that he is the one who knows the truth about our lives and our universe. He made it. 
It is not possible to trust Jesus in matters we do not believe him to be competent. We cannot pray for his help and rely on his collaboration in dealing with real life matters we suspect might defeat his knowledge or abilities. And can we seriously imagine that Jesus could be Lord if he were not smart? If he were divine, would he be dumb or uninformed? Once you stop to think about it, how could he be what we take him to be in all other respects and not be the best informed and most intelligent person of all, the smartest person who ever lived? Jesus. But we compartmentalize them, don't we? We just need them for sin only. We don't need them for exercise. Or dieting. This is Jesus, guys. In all of life's situations and responsibilities, God is there and we must acknowledge him and invite his collaboration. Grace is the power of God present and active in the lives of his loved ones. Your life is a rendezvous, a consultation with God. Your life is a rendezvous with him. And we're all growing in that. We're all growing in the awareness of that, perceiving that. Because many of us feel that God is not present when life is not exciting. But he is. He is. So let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Now I just want to walk through briefly a couple of verses on grace in the context of skill. Grace in the context of skill. Um, so I'm going to read a few Old Testament passages, and this will be encouraging for you because I, I know me and Chris and some others and Jeremy and Denise, you know, we're in this pastoral world and um, we get to do Christian things all the time. And so uh, many believers feel that unless they're doing the same thing, their lives aren't being used to the fullest for the kingdom. And so the purpose of this talk is to squash that today. All right. Grace and skill. Um, we're going to look at Exodus chapter 35, verse 30 through 35. Exodus chapter 35, verse 30 through 35. I just want to read this real brief and just pull out just some ideas here. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do this whole thing because I see the time is ticking. Um, so, Exodus 35. Just check this out. This is cool. This is real good. 
It says, then Moses said to the Israelites, see, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uriah, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding. Could you put the um, scripture up there, please? Verse 31, and he filled him with the spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skill. Why? To make artistic designs for the work of gold and silver and bronze, to cut and set stone, to work with wood and engaging all kinds of artistic crafts. Verse 34, and he, God, has given both of them Holiab and his son and son of Ahismach, the of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. Thirty-five. He has filled them with skill to do all kinds of work as engravers, designers, embroiderers in blue and purple and scarlet yarn and fine linen and weavers. All of them skilled workers and designers. Today, these guys will be doing your website. God gave them the skill. He put in their hearts. Mike, where's Mike? Mike Jackson, is he here? Mike, this is you, man. God gave you that. God gave you the skill and he's the one who is equipping you and instilling this in you. That's his spirit and his grace active in your life. Artistic designs. These guys, these guys were craftsmen. They could put your fence up for you and you'll be satisfied with it. All right, um, Daniel chapter one, verse seven. Okay, I just, let me just say this. Daniel chapter one, verse seven. Um, it says to these four young men, so you think about the Hebrew boys in, in the book of Daniel, these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. God cares about Ernest Hemingway and Shakespeare. God gave them skill for literature. Grace. We got some poets in the room. That's the power and the grace of God active in your life. That's sacred. Not secular. It's sacred. All of life is sacred. This is my last one. God cares about the development of skill, guys. It's not a sin to be great in what you do. That's good. Exodus chapter 28, verse 1 and 3, and, and then we're going to, we're done playing 
coming down <laughs> for a landing. All right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, <laughs> Exodus 28, because I got more verses, but I, we need to stop. Um, Exodus chapter 28, verse 1 through 3. It says, um, God is speaking to, to Moses. He says, have Aaron, your brother, brought to you from among the Israelites, along with his sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eliezer and Ithamar, so they may serve me as priests. Make sacred garments for your brother Aaron to give him dignity and honor. Tell all these skilled workers to whom I have given wisdom in such matters that they are to make garments for Aaron for his consecration so that he may serve me as a priest. God cares about seamstress. Some of you in here like to make quilts and to knit and you're good at it. That's God. That's sacred. Okay, that was my last verse. I'm not going to say read any more verses. But there's more. There's there's pictures of grace being accredited to finishing a building project. Zechariah. And we see grace also in the learning of scripture with Ezra and the skill he develops. And we see grace empowering Paul in, in the maturing of disciples and helping disciples mature. He said, he, said, he said, Christ is energizing me and I'm straining every nerve. Working hard and experiencing the grace of God, they're not separate things. They go together. Go together. Grace is experienced through your efforts. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Grace, earning is, is, is an attitude. Grace is opposed to earning, not effort. That's what Dallas Willard says. Okay. So we've just seen the grace of God in vocation in the mundane things of life, right? We looked at that. Um, so, friends, your jobs are how you collaborate with God in governance and responsibility. Your job is how you collaborate, collaborate with God and others in governing the world and in having responsibility for the world. It's training for reigning. You know, I started when I said, like, what will you be doing the next 300 years? You're in preparation for that. But if you just, if you compartmentalize your life, you won't see it. You're learning how to rule with God in the raising of your children. And the way you care for your friends. When you exercise your will to do what is good and right, In that sense, you are ruling with God in life. Remember the scripture we read in Romans 5, 17? 
You are reigning with God in life. The life of the age to come is the life that's here in the lives of those who have God. Eternal life, eternal living. As Jesus told his disciples in John 13, verse 17, he says, after washing their feet, you know, um, he says, now that you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Blessed are you if you begin to reorder the way you're thinking about your experiences in life, whether positive or negative, whether hard or easy. Reorder. Come to a close. Um, we went through a lot today. If you, if you want the notes, you can email me, Ron, at renewalmethods.com, and I, can send, I will send them to you. But I would like for you to ask, ask yourself, like, what do I need to apply today based on what I've learned? I want you to think through at least two applications for your life. And nobody knows how it needs to be applied to you but you and the Lord. But I want you to think on that. Two applications based on what you learned today. How can you apply this to your life, to your thinking, to your actions? No, it's a big paradigm shift for many of us. But that's grace. All right. Um, King Jesus, we love you. And we, we're grateful for your presence and your loving activity in our, li- in our lives, in our world. Um, we ask that you will fuel us um, like, like never before. Help us to think differently about our lives, what we're doing that seems so mundane, so empty. Help us to see you there. And to experience you there, to recognize you and acknowledge you there. Oh, Lord, I love you. We love you. And that as we um, come up to take of this bread and drink of this juice representing your, your life given for us, we come with gratitude uh, that you really did love the world that you came down and experienced it from a human perspective. And through your sacrifice, you removed the obstacle that prevented our friendship with you. Thank you for that friendship. And we thank you for the forgiveness of sins, for your love. Amen.